0: Hey, you guys uh, good morning man this is uh, this is always just a good privilege. It feels like coming home for me, uh, like Ryan said. Uh, my name is ron Merrill i 'm a pastor out in California now, but we are on staff here for a few years and we've we 've been gone for a few, but it just always feels like. Like, coming home, uh, Anna, my wife, and my two boys, Braddock and Brody, are back home. Uh, Brody is uh, almost five now, and Braddock is six, and uh, they're just growing up super fast. Uh, Braddock's actually finishing up kindergarten this, this week, and uh, so it's just a flying by. Um, but this is good to, be, good to be back with you. When I, when I use the words spiritual disciplines... I don't know what goes through your head. When I say the phrase spiritual disciplines, what, what, do, you, what do you think about? Some of you go, uh, not a whole lot, because I actually don't, I couldn't name any if, if I tried. Um, it, it, let, me, let me clear you on a couple, like fasting, um, reading your Bible, prayer, observing the Sabbath, a good, healthy day off, etc., etc. these spiritual disciplines. And now you go, oh, some of you, when you hear those words, spiritual disciplines, as soon as you hear that phrase, like, it's just nothing but like failure that just permeates your, your mind and your heart because you remember the time where you tried one or two of the disciplines for a while. They lasted about four or five days, and then you, you didn't do so well. Um, and, and maybe this has been a repeat cycle of, of trying these spiritual disciplines and then, then falling away. Others of you, though, go, you know, when I hear the word spiritual disciplines, I think those are basically just for those sorts of people. They're, they're for the same sort of people that like to eat well and work out a lot. If, if you like weightlifting, then you probably like spiritual disciplines. I, I, don't, I hate weightlifting. I know, I know that surprises a lot of you. I hate it. Like I'm so, I'm so weak and, and you look stupid when you go into weight lift, honestly you do. I've seen you. And uh, I can't, I can't bench press anything. Like my max is like a pack of Starburst, and I'm like, oh, 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 oh. and that's, you look so ridiculous when you start to push up, then this is not attractive. You get the bar about halfway up and then the lip starts to curl. Oh, 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 oh. And then they put mirrors on all the walls so you can see how stupid you look. (laughs) And the other people, the guys that work out an awful lot, oh, they're scary. They got two huge bumpy things right here. And if you talk to them, they can make one go up and down at a time. That freaks me out. The machines are scary. I, I sat down on one. It had a seat belt, y'all. Am I going to get in a head-on collision while I'm doing leg lifts? I don't think so. And what's up with the shake weight? I mean, these people look like idiots. You can't tell me that that works. Those guys do not get that huge. Otherwise, all of us that drove really awful cars... We'd be getting out of our cars like Schwarzenegger. Oh, that that feels good. It's the Chevy Shake weight. I don't like I don't like working out. I'm not I'm not like a big discipline guy in general. In fact, if you just take that word discipline, probably when I say the word discipline, one of two things pops into your head either punishment or training. And again, neither of those, like, super appealing, right? Especially punishment. And now if I add the word spiritual in front of of it, now we're talking about either spiritual punishment or spiritual training. And what I want to talk to you about today is that what if these disciplines, these tools, these, these exercises that God has given us To focus more on him, what if they're not punishment? I I don't believe that they were intended to be. But but what if they're even more than training? What I'm going to propose to you this morning is that these spiritual disciplines, these tools that God has given us to focus more on him, it's not punishment, it's not training, it's actually more like positioning. Positioning. What if spiritual disciplines are about positioning yourself in a place where you can better pay attention to God and respond to his Holy Spirit? The disciplines aren't punishment. And it's not even so much just training. But what if it's about positioning yourself? in a place where you can tune in to God better. You position yourself to pay more attention to Him. You position yourself then to respond better to His Holy Spirit when He speaks and when He moves. I believe that's the heart of what these disciplines are for. If you have your Bible, open up to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 3 And if you're not real familiar, it's a little more than three-quarters of the way through your Bible. Be quicker, go to the back and and move to the left. You'll hit that book of Colossians. And this series by the book, going through this this book of Colossians and hitting some of these powerful high points and amazing passages throughout this letter that Paul wrote to the believers in in the city of Colossae. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. It says, since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Right at the start of this chapter, Paul's encouragement to the believers in Colossae, and I believe God's encouragement still to us today, is to set your hearts and minds on things above as opposed to earthly things. That if there's a focal point for your heart and your mind, it is on things above. It's on heavenly things. It's on him. It's not on things below. He says, set your mind, set your hearts. That's the language of positioning. And I believe that the spiritual disciplines, praying and fasting and reading God's word and, and, and fellowship and, and giving and serving... And a long list of some other disciplines that you may not even think of, there's a great book called Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster that unpacks some phenomenal spiritual disciplines that I, I think allow us to do exactly this, to set our hearts and our minds on things above. They position us in a good spot to better pay attention to God and, and then respond to his Holy Spirit. Now, you gotta remember, right, that, that even as Paul is writing these verses, set your heart and your mind on things above, not on earthly things, Paul is writing this from prison. When he was writing those words that we just read together, Paul is writing this letter to encourage other Christians in the city of Colossae, and he's doing it from house arrest. Now, if anybody had an opportunity to be consumed with his circumstances, to be overwhelmed by earthly things and the situation that he found himself in, in house arrest, it was Paul, and yet he'd come to understand that the longer you look at the stuff around you, it doesn't really help that much. But keeping your sights and your thoughts and your heart above on the things of God and God himself, it changes a whole lot of your thinking. It changes your heart. And so here is encouragement here. Now now this chapter three on comes actually at a real pivotal part in the book of Colossians, in this letter. The first couple of chapters, it's very doctrine heavy about Jesus and about who we are in Jesus But at chapter 3 on, he turns the corner and it actually gets very practical in nature. In light of who Jesus is, in light of who God is, and in light of who we are, once we're in a relationship with him, then chapter 3 on, here's how you should live. Here's what you should do. And he starts out the practical part with, set your hearts and your minds on him. Position yourself in a place where you are paying attention to your God and then responding to this Holy Spirit. Because when you do, it changes your heart and it changes your mind. It changes your perspective. Set your hearts. Position your hearts. Set your minds. Position your minds. You and I, we're not animals. We have the ability to set our minds on certain things and not on others. You and I have the ability to choose to think about this and not think about that. We're not just victims of our own thoughts. It may take some disciplining, it may take some work, but you and I have the ability to set our hearts and our minds on this thing and not that thing. And what I think is interesting here is I, God, I, I, know, I know, obviously, being God knew this in our design physiologically. You've heard phrases like, you are what you think, or the more that you dwell on something, that that somehow permeates you, and, and that's true. The more that you consume yourself with certain thoughts and, and, and habits, that that really does become part of you. But your thought life is the same way. For a short-term memory to go to long-term memory through a process of something called protein synthesis and using neurons of your brain and synapses of your brain and neurotransmitters in your brain and an area of your brain called the hippocampus, short-term memory gets converted into long-term memory as the brain does its job. And through protein synthesis, proteins actually build up these pathways, these connecting points in your brain. The more that you think on these things. And what a beautiful thing it is, what a a great thing it would be if physiologically what's being built up as part of your flesh are the things of God and the thoughts of God and the truth of who God is himself rather than the cares of this world and the worries and the distractions that are all around us. The reality was, as as Paul's writing this letter to these believers here, there was some bad teaching, as you've heard, was creeping in to their community of believers. And a lot of what Paul is trying to do in this letter was to refute some bad doctrine and some heresy and some bad teaching that that was creeping in. And as he's writing this letter, one thing he knew that they were facing an awful lot of is that the believers there were kind of reverting back to um, human wisdom, human effort, human tradition, even just religious practice. And had found a way to kind of just rely more on themselves and basically operate in a place where they were focusing on earthly things, not on Jesus. And so he's just been taking a couple chapters to explain the supremacy of Jesus and the adequacy of Jesus, that he's better than, than our wisdom and our thoughts. If you look back to chapter 2, flip, flip back a page, chapter 2 of Colossians, verse 1. Paul says this, he says, I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you and for those at Laodicea, another, another city, another church. And for all who have not met me personally, verse 2, my purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In other words, he's just saying that the hope and the goal and the heart here is that your faith would be full of knowledge of the mystery of God and and namely Jesus. And that I know you're kind of getting dragged away to human wisdom and human tradition and even religious practice, but I need to set your sights up higher, upward, on Jesus himself, on heavenly things, not earthly things. Because at the end of the day, the things above are the things that have the ability to change your heart and your mind and your life. The rest of this, it's man-made. So set your hearts upward to experience and glean the most full knowledge, the mystery of God, and namely Jesus. Verse 4. He says, I tell you this so no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I'm absent from you in body, Paul says, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Paul's desire for these believers there is that their faith would be strengthened, that it would be strong. I think God's got the same desire for us today. That your faith would be strong in the knowledge of God. That that you wouldn't be pulled left and right by distractions, fine-sounding arguments, other worldviews, other perspectives. Because we just don't know our Bible, we don't know our faith. God wants our faith to be strong and, and grounded. But that comes as a result of setting our hearts and minds more on the things above than on the earthly things. Verse 6 and 7, it says, so then, he's doing a lot of repeating here, a lot of repetition to make sure we get this. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. He says, okay, I know a lot of you, you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You're in a relationship with Jesus. And that's a wonderful thing. That's a beautiful thing. But again, the hope and the goal, the desire that Paul had for these people that I think God still has for us today is that we don't just step into relationship with Jesus and stop there, but that we grow in our relationship with him. We continue to figure out more and more of what he's like as we set our hearts and our minds on things above, as we position ourselves in a place to pay better attention to who God is and then respond to the Holy Spirit. He wants us to grow. You see, when you stepped into a relationship with Jesus, you, your position changed. Something new was spoken about you. When you stepped in a relationship with Jesus, you went from guilty to not guilty. You went from uh, an enemy of God to a friend of God. And your legal standing before God changed. The old is gone and the new has come. But does that mean that... uh, You woke up the next morning and you knew everything there was to know about God or Jesus or the Bible? Of course not. Did that mean that the next morning after you accepted Christ, you woke up and you didn't sin or struggle anymore? No, of course not. And so the process that the sanctification, holiness, being made more and more into the image of Jesus, comes with time as we set our hearts and our minds on things above. Basically what's happening is... We're positioning ourselves differently so that we become who Jesus says we already are. We act out in obedience first, taking on faith this is who we are, and then we walk that way. We grow and we grow and we grow. It's just like I got married almost nine years ago, and when the ceremony was done, legally, I, I was married. I had a wife and she had a husband. Now, what if right after that, we never hung out again. I mean, that would be a drag, right? I mean, legally we'd be married, but do you think I know her a lot better now, nine years later than I did even when we got married? You bet, do you think she knows me a lot better? Yes. And it's the same thing in a relationship with Jesus. You step into that relationship, your position changes and legally before God, everything changes but now he invites you into this love relationship where you grow more and learn more about who he is and and who he's made you to be. If you skip down to uh, verse 20 of Colossians 2, again, repeating again, he says, since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, Why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. I don't know what it is for us as human beings, but there seems to be this like default kind of magnetic pull for us just to be drawn to uh, rules and regulations and even religion. And and just just kind of like moral behavior. But again, at the end of the day, that that stuff, it's man made. And what Paul is saying is is, okay, all this stuff, it's not necessarily bad stuff, but it's, it's not as good as setting your hearts and your minds on things above. You can't rely on human wisdom, you can't even just rely on human instinct. We can't just rely on our emotions. We can't even always trust our own thoughts. And so he's invited us not to a religion, not to rules and regulations, but into a living, breathing relationship. He he wants you to set your hearts and your minds on things above, not out of punishment and not out of training, but because that's where he is. And he wants to spend time in this relationship growing closer with you and and that's a a beautiful picture and so we get back to chapter 3 verse 1 where we were since then repeating it again to make sure you get not only who Jesus is but who you are in him you have been raised with Christ set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God I mean, you want a great truth to set your heart and your mind on? It's the fact that you've been raised with Christ if you've got a relationship with Jesus. Where where Jesus is now seated at the right hand of God, that's a good reminder that uh, Jesus isn't dead, (laughs) y'all. He's alive, thank you very much. Every other religious leader that's ever lived is still in their tomb, but not Jesus. He is alive and he is seated at the right hand of God and at this very moment, he is our sympathetic high priest who is interceding on our behalf to the Father. Right now for this, at this very moment for you, he's alive and well and, and, and desiring this, this closeness with you. So set your hearts on that truth Verse 2 Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You stepped into a relationship with Jesus, and Jesus conquered sin and conquered death. And sin in you, the back is broken on it, you're not bound by it anymore. You're defined by something totally different. You're not defined by your sin. You're not defined by your past. That's dead. And now your life is hidden in Christ and what he did on the cross. Verse four, when Christ, who is your life, appears. I love that phrase, when Christ, who is your life. I mean, honestly, like, think about it. Like, is Christ really your life? Could could you tell that by by your thoughts toward him? I mean, if you had to put a percentage to the amount of thoughts that you spent last week on what you would categorize as things above, what percentage would you give it? How many thoughts? 50%? 70% of your thoughts last week on things above? 20%? Okay, what about the inverse? How many percentage points would you give your thought life to like earthly things? We, we have to think about stuff on earth, right? I mean, the, we can't get around that. We can't just walk around like staring up in the clouds every day. I mean, we gotta go to work, we gotta pay bills, we got relationship, we, I mean, but this is a priority thing. This is about making sure, okay, yeah, I know that you live down here on earth, I get that. But that's why the call, don't, don't forget that there's more to life than just what's lateral here side to side. Don't forget to set your hearts and your minds on things above because that's where real freedom is. That's where real joy is. That's where real peace is. That's where real wisdom is. It's not down here in all this stuff. So, once you start to do this, I think it gets a good picture here of of positioning yourself to pay better attention to God, number one, and then two, to respond to the Holy Spirit. Because when you're starting to think about things above instead of earthly things, I mean, just whatever that looks like, whether that's in prayer, whether that's a a real, legit Sabbath day off, we're in silence. Whether that's uh, reading God's word, wh- whatever it is, maybe it's a season of fasting or whatever. You're positioning yourself in a place where you're gonna just tune in, pay better attention to God. And then so that you can respond to the Holy Spirit, you so you can, you can do what he's calling you to do. It's, it's kind of like sailing. How many have ever sailed before? Yeah, like two of you, because this is Arizona. So, (laughs) no, but even if you've not been, I mean, you know the principle, right? You're out in the boat and you hoist the sail and the sail has to be filled with wind in order for the boat to move. And you also know that sometimes just the subtle positioning of the mast and the boom uh, allows you to catch the wind to move the boat where you want it to go or where the wind's gonna take you. And I believe that's the same thing in our relationship with God, that I think these spiritual disciplines basically are like us hoisting the sail of our life and then subtly positioning it so that we're paying more attention to God so that we might receive the wind of the Holy Spirit and let it take us, blow us where it wants us to go. And as we set our hearts and our minds on things above, then I think it really is like just hoisting the sail up. And, and just we're constantly kind of paying attention. God, are, 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 you, are you saying I need to head this direction? Should I do this? Should I do that? What should I think in this situation? How should I feel about this situation? I believe God's speaking all the time through his word. Th- through wise believers through his spirit, I just don't think a lot of times we're listening. I don't think our radar is up all the time. One of my mentors carries around with him in his pocket little three by five note cards, and then he carries a pen with him. And everywhere he goes, he just has his radar up for what God's doing. And he's just kind of praying constantly throughout the day, that God would show him stuff and reveal different things about himself, whether it's in his word or out in creation or a cool moment with someone. And as he's doing, then he jots it down. He writes it down in these cards and keeps it with him. And his thinking is that if the Lord knows that his radar is up, the sail is hoisted and, and he's paying attention, to God that maybe God will reveal more, speak more so that he can you know, connect more and, and, and be who God's called him to be and, and go where God's called him to go. But it's all a very practical way of setting his heart and his mind on things above instead of earthly things. Two questions for you then. Some of you are doing okay in this area. And you just need the encouragement to keep on. Just don't give up. Because there's seasons where um, the wind is weak and and your season is more about just kind of staying put in the boat with patience. But you don't want to miss a moment where God's speaking, where God's moving because you just weren't paying attention and you weren't ready to respond so two questions for you that may help you figure out some tools or some exercises that help you pay better attention. They may be some of the spiritual disciplines. First is, what are some things, what are some tools, what are some exercises that would allow me to love God better, love people better, or love myself better? What are some things that I could do that would allow me to love God, love people, love myself better? or more and whatever you start to generate there you could turn into an opportunity to position yourself in a place where you're paying better attention to God and then responding to his Holy Spirit second question though what are some things that you may need to remove from your life to better allow you to pay attention to God and respond to his Holy Spirit? What are some distractions that are in your life? And it might just be an ever so subtle moving of the boom, of the sail, to get you away from some certain things, to catch the wind of the Holy Spirit, to move you where he wants you. What what are those things that you need to take out If you continue to read through Colossians, Paul actually gets pretty strong in encouraging them to rid themselves of some certain things, to put your focus and attention on things above, but take an active part in limiting distractions. So I don't know if it's Facebook or Twitter or internet stuff. I don't know if it's relationships. I, I don't know, maybe it's a schedule issue for you. What could you take an honest assessment of your life right now and go, I think this is actually keeping me from paying attention to God, much less actually responding to the Holy Spirit, much less actually obeying him. And if you get honest before God and quiet and still before him and just open yourself, Lord, okay, what are some things that I could do that would begin to allow you and I to connect better? And then what are some things that I should remove out of my life that are just distractions? I know this is hard. Our culture is so loud. The distractions are many, right? And it competes for the very voice of God in our lives. And so we don't have the luxury of taking this lightly. He wants to connect. He's desiring to connect. And the peace and the joy and the freedom that I think our souls are longing for, actually starts with setting our hearts and our minds on things above, not not on earthly things. The very first place that I was a youth pastor, I was young and we got started, I didn't really even know what I was doing. And uh, God was doing some cool stuff, but we were just hoping and praying for for more. And, a kid actually came up and said, why don't we just pray more than we do right now? I'm like, "It's a good idea. Sounds good. And so we started meeting several days before school. Um, Before school would start, we'd meet up and we'd pray. We'd meet before youth group would start. We'd meet after, after youth group would start. We just prayed, 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 prayed. About the same time they came out with bracelets that said push on them. And it stood for pray until something happens. And we liked that. It seems simple. Now, what we didn't realize is that we are basically through prayer, we were positioning ourselves in a place to pay better attention to God and then respond to the Holy Spirit. We were setting our hearts and our minds on things above, not on circumstances, not on earthly things. And I don't know how God works in all this stuff. All I can tell you is that after about two months of doing this, all of a sudden, the wind of the Holy Spirit and the power of God just flooded through our youth group and 126 kids got saved in four months and 88 of them went on to get baptized at the end of that four-month period. It, It was huge. Our church only had 300 people in it. And it was phenomenal to see And we just realized that this this isn't anything that we're strategizing or manufacturing. He has got all we need, and so if I'm gonna put my attention anywhere, it should be upward on him and his ways. And when we do that, he will change your heart, and he will change your mind, and he will give you the peace and the joy and the freedom that I think we're really looking for, regardless of circumstances, regardless of distractions. So let's make every effort over the next couple of weeks, may to remove some things that are distractions and to hoist the sail up big time before God to pay better attention to him. I'll be back with you in two weeks. So I'm gonna ask you about it. We'll see. And maybe we'll have some stories to share about things that you removed and maybe some things that you started. And we'll see what the next couple of weeks looks like. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for every single person in this room and just the beauty of being with my family here in Arizona. We pray, Lord, that you would allow us the privilege of connecting deeply with you over the next couple of weeks. Would you allow us the ability to hoist the sail of our life and catch the wind of your Holy Spirit? Father, clue us into these things that we might begin to do these tools and exercises that we have to pay, pay, pay better attention to you. Things that in fact are not punishment. And they're not even training. But it's just things that help cultivate our relationship with you. Father, thank you that you died on a cross. That you set us free from sin. And that someday we'll be with you in glory. That you bought our freedom. You, you redeemed us. that it might recalibrate our hearts and our minds. I pray that over everybody in this room today, that they receive the freedom and the joy of walking with you as they just lift their eyes upward. We do that right now as we worship you, in Jesus' name, amen.